right, everybody, welcome back. You just survived an election year. Got a very important question for you. It's not, are you a Republican or Democrat, but are you a structuralist or a functionalist? Welcome to Therapists in Motion, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. All right, and with me today, we have Paul. Hello, everybody. And Dan the Man. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here today. All right, so we're talking about structuralism and functionalism. Paul, which one are you? Current vote, go in functionalism, but I'm curious to see where you take everything today, so to be determined. All right, all right, Dan? Yes. Ooh, tricky answer. I love it. I'm going to be the Mason-Dixon line. All right. So whenever we look at our professional landscape, there's some things that I'm seeing with a lot of our clinicians. Young, old, doesn't really matter. I see that there are some people that think, whenever they're treating a patient, about the muscle or joint or structure first. And yet, I also see someone on the other side of the spectrum where they're thinking about the movement first, how they're going to get that person to move better. So it's not really... So to me, when I look at everything, structuralism is almost fading out. It, it seems like treating a person at the structure of the site of pain, using historical mainstays of physical therapy like exercise, uh, massage, and traction, just to that specific joint, are starting to fade away. Would you guys say that's fair to say? Structuralism going out, functionalism going in? At surface level, I definitely agree with you. I think there's a little bit of dependency upon how you define structure. But yes, I think there's a definite shift towards function in general being a huge catch phase in our profession and looking more at the movement and addressing that initially. Yeah. I mean, whenever, you, whenever I look at I look at insurance companies. All of a sudden, we have to do FLR codes, functional limitation reporting, function. And then we have functional goals that we have to write. And then from the documentation standpoint, we have big picture concepts of telling the story, not necessarily speaking just about the function. Not only is the insurance companies pushing us that way, you touched on it with the products being marketed to us. You have a functional everything nowadays. And it seems like the, if you have that tagline of function, PTs are going to buy it, eat it all up. And even EPTA, they have in their vision, transforming society by optimizing movement to improve the human experience. Optimizing movement, I believe that's also another catchphrase of function in there. But despite this shift, I see the educational landscape sorely lagging behind in teaching function. I've always thought that the older the PT is, the more likely they're going to be destructuralist. Would you find that this is true and that new people are coming in with a better appreciation of function, or are we really behind the ball on this? I would say right now, I think it's kind of a mixed bag where there are therapists based on educational uh, philosophies as well as clinical experiences that have been exposed to more functional movement patterns and functional evaluation. And there are therapists coming out who still are solely focused on does this special test show a labral pathology? Does this special test show a ATFL ligament sprain? And they are solely isolated on finding a diagnosis for the patient and saying that this special test tells them how to treat a patient. I agree. I feel like everyone tries to be very regimented and find how they can stuff a patient into a box. They've got their 27 boxes. They want to find which of those 27 boxes that patient fits into. The funny thing is the knowledge is really there for the true function. They might have more functional anatomical knowledge than you 
do out of school for quite some time until you look back into it, but they don't learn how to appreciate or actually apply it appropriately to the patient. Yeah. I, I like what you said, how we're trying to fit people in boxes, and that's not really where they belong. But at the same time, when we look even at our, at our research, like the peak of the peak in our field, like they're trying to figure out these algorithms, which do what, essentially? Put people in boxes. Are they included in this? Or are they excluded with this? And not to denounce the uh, respect to research. That's what you have to do to create a, a good experiment. But we realize that things are a lot more complex than what our experiments allow. I mean, even board certification goes way into the weeds of structure. And Dan, I think you could attest to this being OCS. I mean, is it really what... I always felt like taking the OCS exam that what it seems like what defines our profession, according to those guys, is the more you know about structure, the better you are. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. I mean, I've had the opportunity to mentor a few therapists in our company over the last six to 12 months about my OCS journey and what it brought to me. And while it helped me do a better job at differential diagnosis, it really didn't help me treat a patient. It might have said, hey, they have this pathology or they have this going on that is outside my ability as a physical therapist to properly take care of them in the moment and to refer them out. So from a direct access standpoint, my OCS certification has definitely helped me guide patients to the proper medical provider, whether it's PT or an OT or... Yeah. A physician. But it hasn't helped your treatment. Has it but I would not necessarily say that the OCS helped me create successful outcomes for patients. Um, but as I think about structuralism versus functionalism, I would say, like my initial answer to your question is yes, there are periods of time where I go to structuralism and there are periods of time where I ignore structuralism and I go straight to functionalism. Sure. So... If the peak in our peak, the people that have all the board certifications in the world, I see it a very structuralist model. Model. It almost teaches us to want to be the elite structuralists of them all. But when we look across the whole entire medical landscape, I think it's a complete losing battle. I don't think we'll ever win. There was a 2005 study by uh, joint authors, but Childs and, and Flynn being a, a couple that you'd recognize, that gave a musculoskeletal examination to all sorts of different medical professionals. PTs did rank number two and three respectively. Uh, if you had an OCS and an SCS that you'd get an 81% on this exam and other PTs would get a 74% on this exam. So one's getting a B and then the other one's getting a, a C. But then you have orthopedic surgeons, orthopedic physicians that scored a 94% on that. If we're humble, we should probably admit that we will never really be the structuralist experts of the whole entire world. There is already a niche for that. Those are the surgeons that cut into that structure every single day. Not to say we don't know our structure. Structure is still completely important. But if we're humble, we admit that, okay, not only does structure, as you said, Dan, might not help us with our outcomes, but structure, we're good but we're only a B or C where we should maybe try to be an A. Are we thinking about this from the wrong perspective? Rather, if we're humble, but if we are bold, should we try to become the functional experts in the world? So how do we really become functional experts in the world? What, is, what does function mean to you, Paul? 
function means to me just specificity, to keep it simple. We know the body is unbelievably specific. It responds to the challenges presented to it. So being able to appreciate that when a person is moving, what is actually happening across the entire kinetic chain for that individual to accomplish said task. I want to know what is happening that they can then replicate however they need to be treatment-wise to get them to where they need to be. Yeah. Dan, how do you define function? Functionalism, maybe. You know, I think function slash functionalism to me is more about what does the patient need to be able to do in their daily environment? All too often, we see individuals who come in with a ACL reconstruction and they're doing straight leg raises or total knee replacement and they're doing short arc quads. But total knee patients are going to vary vastly on what they want to do. Are they a golfer? Are they a tennis player? Are they somebody who needs to crawl around on the floor because they're the primary caregiver for their grandchild? But I also want to look at function in not just normal function, but efficient function, optimal function, and how we as movement experts can identify breakdowns in their kinetic chain, as Paul mentioned, determine if it's a structural cause or it's a neuromusculoskeletal control cause and help them get to trending towards optimal slash efficient movement or function. I like what you said about being movement specialists, not necessarily being structural specialists. That goes into functionalism a little bit more. But you both said something that was highly specific to that individual, and that's what functionalism brings. We're structured. It doesn't depend what environment it is. It doesn't even, it doesn't even depend if it's person's alive or not. Structure is there even as a corpse. So the environment is important. So if we look at being a motion movement expert and we look at the environment, this is where I think one of the foundations of function has to be that environment. And what's the environment that we all share despite where you are in the globe? You have your X, Y, Z axis. That is the three-dimensional environment we all exist. And through that three axes, you get your three planes of motion sagittal, frontal, transverse. Back in school, the only time I was ever even exposed to that was the front page of our anatomy textbook that gave all those different positions of a body. Past then, it all delved into structure deeply. I feel like if we focus just on that XYZ axis and learn to look at not only the structure but the motion of that structure, we would have a little bit more appreciation, be able to develop specific treatment plans that is function of what you guys are, are talking about. So if we are living these X, Y, Z axes and we appreciate that structure moves through them, I think that we also need to have a better way of conceptualizing, evaluating this motion. And so this is where there's a lot of techniques across the board. Um, whether it is Gray Institute, which I'm fond of, whether it's IPA, which Paul and Dan are both big into. What is your guys' take on global movement assessments in these XYZ axes? How does that differ for you guys rather than maybe the pure structure way of what maybe you were taught in school? Paul. It's 
funny. I think I try to apply the pure structure and the knowledge that I have for it to determine what is the lacking uh, uh, issue or the deficit for the actual function. So, for example, when I look at a shoulder, I'm looking at each of the planes of motion, but I'm interested in is the clavicle getting the posterior roll, the elevation, as well as the retraction that is required. There's our three planes of motion, but I know the degrees and the amount that has to occur for each of them in each of the three planes. So I'm looking at the actual structure itself. I'm looking at is it achieving your in-the-box measurements that it needs? Is it achieving it equally? Is it achieving it in the organized pattern that the body is designed to? And then does that allow function to occur? Or is there one that is lacking that I can address to improve kind of what Dan said, the optimal state of motion? and then retrain it to maintain that optimal state of motion. So I base my function on a bit of structure. Sure, well, and, and, there, and as we go on, we'll realize that this is not just completely polar opposite. One cannot exist without the other. Like I said earlier, function, well, structure without function is a course, but then function without structure is a ghost. You can't, you can't have the opposite extremes. We live in this medium world here. But how do you know, I'm gonna challenge you a little bit, Paul. So you said something about posterior roll of your clavicle during elevation of the humerus. Is that, is that structure what you're seeing first, or is that something you're seeing second? Uh, I'm going to go Dan here and say yes. So, yeah, it, unfortunately, it depends. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't just look and break down every single structure, as nice as that would be to go through every single thing individually. That's not realistic within the time frame that we're provided or even efficient for going through the patient. So I would say I'd probably look at the generalized function first. Um, but, again, it depends a little bit on patient-specific as far as how they present, what they need, and what I actually need to tackle, and what they need to get back to. You know, what type of level are we looking for? What are their goals? Like Dan said, different goals require a different thought process or a different look and a, a greater specificity on truly getting them optimal and efficient movement. Well, and, you know, I also feel that it's based upon how the patient's presenting and what their severity and irritability is that day. There may be days where I would love to functionally evaluate a patient. But based on what they present in their subjective history, it may not be feasible. No, or from a tissue healing standpoint, it may be contraindicated to load that fresh ACL in the transverse plane. So there are times when I evaluate in more of a structural way based on what the patient tells me. But the, but the flip also happens where I come in and I'm anticipating to be limited in a structural evaluation. And after subjective questioning, and I find out that this patient is two weeks post-op X and they're already doing things that make me a little uncomfortable, I'm going to take them to that functional progression and evaluate them there to really determine where my starting point is for their physical therapy. Because if we don't start their PT at the correct level that begins to challenge them, and that could be from a tissue mobility standpoint, that could be from a structural joint standpoint, that could be from a functional movement point of view. If we don't start them at the right level, we're doing ourselves and more importantly, the patient, a grave disservice. Seems like you're talking a lot about intensity. And we want to make sure we're going at the proper intensity for a patient. But I'm going to push back a little bit. You almost inherently implied that doing a functional evaluation on someone is more intense than something else. I philosophically don't agree that's true. Function can be intense. Function can be simple. And so I think that whenever you really think about 
I've seen this a lot with my students. Oh, I can't do this functional mobilization because it includes a lot of movement, it includes a lot of torque, a lot of velocity. It can be dangerous, absolutely. But what if you just go at a lighter intensity of that same functional movement? Then that all of a sudden, that person that needs that terminal knee extension, that you're not doing this heavy-weighted exercise to where you're torquing it, you just give a little bit. You, you tease that motion forward so that they actually are starting to make gains at that, so that their post-test is better than their pre-test on that given day. So now we're getting to, to not only the evaluation of function, which is important, we're also thinking about now how we're training this motion. I think that we do need to get out of that trap of structure. Rather than thinking that your exercises are hip exercises, our knee exercises, our core exercises, why can't we think about them being sagittal exercises, frontal plane exercises, transverse plane exercises? If we identify the movement deficit doing a functional evaluation at the proper intensity, should we then use that information to train them to restore that movement. This is where if you want to do some homework, I'll challenge you both to this too, and every podcast listener that's out there, look at one of your exercise flow sheets today, tomorrow. Go through them. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I want you to throw every single exercise that you have given them into three different buckets. What's a sagittal plane exercise? What's a frontal plane exercise? And what's a transverse plane exercise? If we all agree that we move in this X, Y, Z axis world, we have to then conclude we need to have people to move successfully, no matter if it's long X, Y, or Z. If you are training that patient to access their X, Y, Z environment, I'm hoping that you have a fairly equal proportion of those exercises. Now, granted, there might be a time in which you need to focus on one plane of motion, so you don't take that ACL through a transverse plane right away. I do understand but are you doing something in the transverse plane, maybe in the opposite way, rather than lengthening that ACL up? Are you shortening it down? Are you waking up the body? Are you waking up those muscles proprioceptively so that they can control that? So do that homework assignment. It can be very, very convicting. And even me, as might sound like I'm preaching here and this is what I do all the time, I'm constantly humble. Like, I'm this patient's not making progress. Okay, I'm gonna do my audit. Crap, I'm doing everything in the sagittal plane. Why am I doing that? I'm getting myself in a rut. There's something I'm not seeing. There's something philosophically wrong with how I'm approaching this because if I believe in XYZ environments, if I believe in 3D motions, I should be treating them in all three planes of motion. I'm curious. I want to ask you a question to expand on something, Andrew. Um, so let's just take, for example, one of my least favorite exercises ever created by man, the long arc quad. If I do a long arc quad, am I not moving in three planes of motion still at the knee? Is there not a transverse plane rotation that is occurring? Is there not a pretty obvious sagittal plane motion and even some frontal plane slide glide that occurs with it? Sure. And when you look at the joint mechanics, I couldn't refute that. But is it specific? Are you training that patient to backward? And that was your definition of function, which I completely agree with. Function has to be specific. There's not very many people that say, Andrew, my goal for physical therapy is so I can kick a ball in a seated position because that's going to bring me joy in life. If that's really what they wanted to do, I would train them to full arc quad <laughs> happily, 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 happily. But most people say, no, Andrew, I, I, I do want my quad strong, which I think that's what you're trying to get at with this full arc quad, but I don't want my quads to function in this way. I want them to function so I can kneel down, get my grandchild off the floor. That to them is function. And that's where, little sidebar, I wish people, more of our patients got completely offended by that kind of treatment. 
where they look at that full art quad and say, okay, I know you're really trying hard, but this is not the this is not what I want to do at all. Why, why are you having me do this? This looks like nothing I want to get my life back to. These little crunches you're having me do on the ground. I don't even get out of the bed that way in the morning. Why are you having me do it this way? Not to say we're not structurally making something stronger, but are we, are we making that structure stronger in that functional, specific way for them? Well, and I think another thing to, to think about here <clears throat> is evaluating where a patient can be successful and which plane of motion are they going to be the most successful starting in. And that's something that I've evolved with in my treatment, and especially as I think about structuralism versus functionalism, is rather than starting an impairment or a movement pa pattern that is painful or difficult, let them start in a place that's successful and gradually build there with a slight tweak in one of the different planes. And I've seen great success there with patients. And I think you're right about speaking to the intensity of the exercise, but also the position of the patient and that not everything has to be in weight bearing. Not everything has to be in supine. Not everything has to be in sideline, but utilizing those positions with a different load, like Paul mentioned, to stress tissue differently or make sure that by putting somebody in sideline, he may see that the clavicle isn't doing what it's supposed to, but he didn't see it when they were seated. So I think that's something that we also have to challenge our listeners to do is, are we evaluating with the patient in a different position? Or are we evaluating with a different eye on how that patient is moving? Absolutely, because there's a lot of people with shoulder impingement that the last thing they can do is flex their shoulder forward in a standing position. But once you get them on their side, a lot of people can do it on their side. Did the structure change? Not at all. Body position changed. The function of that structure was about the same. Yes, there's different, slightly different loads, but it made them successfully go through it. So if you start with motion, and that's where we should, that's where insurance companies are telling us to go, that's where APTA tells us to go to, if you start with function, and ultimately, the patient, their goal is to end with function. I wouldn't be dare to say, do we ever even need to take this structural bypass and say, oh, well, you want to get from this function to this function, but we got to work on this structure. Wait, no. If they want to go to A to B, why do we have to create this artificial long way around and just treating structure? If you start with structure, I mean, if you start with function, I don't think you'll ever, ever be disappointed. But the catch is, though, too, is the more you learn about function, the more you want to learn about structure. If you want to be the functional expert in the world, I'm sorry. Paradoxically, you have to be a structuralist as well. You can't be the fear functionalist without having that structuralist DNA part of you. But not getting stuck with the structure. Because structure, if you focus on that, that will drive you nuts. We need to understand that structure with the interplay, the movement, the function associated with it. I want so, to... I want to take a second to highlight something, Andrew, you said briefly ago that really struck me and I, I see all the time and agree with so strongly is when we have those patients come in and you look at an exercise program or whatever they'd be doing and you realize it has nothing to do with what they're actually trying to accomplish, that should offend you. I'm sure we can all agree on how many times have you all seen that patient that comes in 
and they don't want to be there because they failed therapy before. And you pick their brain a little bit. What was therapy before? Well, therapy before you find out was a bunch of table exercises modalities. How in the world does that address any of their deficits, any of their goals, or how their body even truly moves in the real world? But I see it all the time. I hear it all the time. And I have patients that come in thinking therapy failed them. I have doctors that think therapy is worthless and you can give them a flow sheet with five band exercises on it and long arc quads and all is going to be good so they can play chair soccer. (laughs) 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 Might be their goal. We have wheelchair soccer leagues. There's some really cool ones out there, not going to lie. But in all honesty, we should be offended by that. We should be pissed off that people are doing that and trying to pass it off as our profession when we really have the knowledge base to do so much more. And I agree wholeheartedly with Angie said, we need to look at what the patient wants and how their body specifically moves and look at that function and address that function. So podcast listeners, you're part of this because you might not be where you want to be yet. You're uncomfortable with what the norm of physical therapy is, or maybe it was. Hopefully you will help us have that, create that advent of change that we'll be seeing people not for structure, but more for function. And here at Spooner Physical Therapy, that's what we want to teach, function with respect to structure. Not, to, not so that we ourselves feel fulfilled and that we're getting our results that we want, but so that we are ultimately getting that patient back to what they want to do. Because that's really what we're all in this for. It's not so we can really be structuralists or functionalists, big picture, it's so that we can be advocates for our patients, so we can be stewards of our profession. So... We hope that this po- this podcast is empowering to you as well. What kind of PT do you want to be?